0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Please turn with me to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. The Psalms are wonderful. Um, because they give to us the whole experience of a Christian. Uh, some of the psalms are written, you can tell, from uh, joyful, happy times, some from uh, very discouraging and depressing times, uh, some out of sin and repentance, disaster of all sorts. And we get to take these words and not just keep them as a historical relic, in the context of when they were written, but to use them as our own. And so, today we're going to look at Psalm 3. It says at the top, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. The first thing to notice about this psalm is that it has a backstory. You see that in the title of the psalm, right at the top. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So David wrote this psalm when he was running for his life from his own son, Absalom. Now can you imagine that? Think of what that would be like. Can you imagine your own son hating you so much? Rebelling against you so much that he tries literally to hunt you down and kill you? This is what's happening to King David and we read about it in the book of 2nd Samuel. It's a long and gripping story and very interesting story that runs for 7 chapters in the book of 2nd Samuel chapters 13 to 19, you should read it when you get a chance. And we could spend weeks learning lessons about this period of David's life, but I just want to sketch out the details of what happened so we can understand this psalm. David had a son named Absalom. Absalom had a sister named Tamar. And David had another son from another woman, and this other son's name was Amnon. Amnon became obsessed with his half-sister, Tamar. And he became so obsessed with her in a wicked way that he raped her. And when King David heard of this awful sin, what did King David do? Does anyone remember? He did nothing. In fact, here's all that it says. 2 Samuel 13, 21. Now when King David heard of all these matters, the rape of his daughter by one of his sons. When he heard of all these matters, he was very angry. Period. That's all it says. He did nothing to discipline his son Amnon, nothing to bring about justice, nothing to comfort or help his daughter Tamar. Nothing. He was just angry. Now, When Tamar's full brother Absalom heard of this, it says that he hated his brother, his half-brother, Amnon, and he plotted for two full years against Amnon. He evidently lived by the motto that revenge is a dish best served cold. And so he waits for two years until Amnon puts down his guard, and Absalom tricked him He tricked Amnon into coming out to a feast. Um, It was a sheep shearing party. Sounds like fun. But evidently it was a party because there's lots of wine. And this is what he says. He secretly, Absalom secretly said to his servants, he said, See now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear, have not I myself commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. And so he, causes, he calls his, his servants to do his dirty work for him. And in fact, they kill Amnon. And Absalom fled after the murder of Amnon to a foreign country and sought refuge. And you would think that David would have mourned the loss of his son Amnon, the one who was killed. But that's not really what happened. Instead, he mourned the loss of his son Absalom the one who murdered his son, his brother, and ran off to take refuge in a foreign land. And after three years, Absalom came back to Jerusalem. He returned from exile, but his father David did not greet him when he came back. In fact, Absalom was back in Jerusalem for two years before he actually saw the king again. But finally, Absalom manipulated his way back into the court of King David. And he came back not as a repentant son, not as a repentant man, uh, not as the prodigal son coming back to his father, saying, I'm not worthy to be your son. He comes back instead as a subversive rebel. This is what it says about Amnon in 2 Samuel 15one 6 It says, Now it came about after all of this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him, so he has a nice car, That's what it means. He has a fancy car. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me, and I would give him justice. And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, to bow down before the prince, Absalom would put out his hand and take hold of him and raise him up and kiss him. And in this matter, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom is a manipulative, deceitful, devious, proud, dandy of a man. Incredibly concerned about his appearance, incredibly concerned about what people think of him using it all the time to manipulate. This is what it says about him in 2 Samuel 14, about his physical appearance. It says, Now in all Israel was no one as handsome as Absalom, so highly praised. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. And when he cut his hair, the hair of his head, and it was at the end of every year that he cut it, for it was heavy on him, so he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels by the king's weight. That's four and a half to five pounds of hair. He he, he glories in his hair. And if you know the story of Absalom, it ends up being his downfall. Eventually, this manipulative, devious, proud man, Absalom, brought all his schemes together and mounted a full-blown coup. And the scripture says this in 2 Samuel 15, 12 and 13. It says, the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Then a messenger came to David, saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David had no choice but to run for his life. Second Samuel fifteen fourteen, David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David has to run for his life, and he runs for his life uh, dressed like a beggar, dressed like a mourner, it says later on, barefoot with his head covered, mourning as he runs. And to add insult to injury, on his way out of Jerusalem, he's accosted. By a crazy man named Shimei. You might remember this story. Second Samuel 16, 5-8. When King David came to Baharim, he's running out of the city. And behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, get out, get out you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul and whose place you have reigned and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom and behold you are taken in your own evil for you are a man of bloodshed. David wrote Psalm 3 with those words ringing in his ears. And with the bitterness of running from his own son, stinging his heart. He was running for his life. His son had turned against him. His people had turned against him. He runs from the royal palace in Jerusalem as a fugitive with this ragtag band of foreigners. It's the only people who who have stuck with him. And under those circumstances, under those circumstances, David writes these words. And he says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Now look at what he says. Look at verses 1 and 2. He looks around. He sees the situation. Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. This is exactly what's happening. He's outnumbered. He is surrounded. Everyone is against him. And worse than that, look at what they're saying. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. That is what Shimei just yelled at him. Remember, as he was running out of the city, Shimei said to him, The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. God is done with you, David. The Lord has turned against you. God is not going to help you. And That is the worst thing in the world for a faithful man to hear. It's the worst thing in the world for a faithful man to hear or to think If you've cast yourself on God, if you've thrown your soul on God, you've put your life into his hands, what an awful thing to have people say, there is no deliverance for you in God, God's not going to help you, especially at a time of trial and pain and devastation. It's like having Job's wife say to Job, curse God and die. That's all you can do, curse God and die. What an encouragement. It's awful. This is exactly what you and I hear all the time. This is exactly what we hear all the time. There's no God to help you. Religion is a crutch for weak minded fools, prayer is for superstitious idiots. There's no help for you in God. Or maybe, that's what the world says, maybe what you hear even from within the church is something like this. God helps good people. God helps people who have it together. God, God helps people who don't have sins that they fall into. God helps people whose families are perfect. God helps people whose Who never lose their temper with their wives, with their children. God helps people who always trust Him and always obey Him. God helps clean people. God helps righteous people. And look at you you're not clean, you're not righteous. Look at your kids, look at your house, look at your marriage. Look at the mess you've made. God's not going to help you. This these words are not for you. But here's the thing. What about David? David wasn't clean. David wasn't righteous. Look at the circumstances in which he's running. Look at his family. Look at his history. Why did all of this happen to David? Why was David being chased out of Jerusalem by his own rebellious son? Well, if you know the story of David, you know exactly why all of this is happening to him. All of this is happening as a direct result of David's own sin. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? David saw a woman named Bathsheba, and he wanted her. And he was a powerful man, so he took her. And he got her pregnant. But this woman was married to one of the king's faithful soldiers, one of his faithful warriors named Uriah. And when Bathsheba told David that she was pregnant with his child, with David's child, David ultimately, remember, arranged the murder of Uriah. He had Uriah killed, and he took Bathsheba for himself. And David hid this sin. Finally, the prophet of God, Nathan, comes to David and confronts him. And at the end of this confrontation, Nathan, speaking on God's behalf as the prophet of God with the voice of God, says this to David, 2 Samuel chapter 12. He says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore, listen, he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. And this is exactly what happens. To the last detail, when Amnon comes and runs David out of Jerusalem, and David is running, and he leaves the palace, he leaves behind ten concubines, it's an, awful, it's an awful story, if you know what happened. Amnon takes them in public as a disgrace to his own father. It's exactly what God said would happen to the prophet Nathan. All of this, all of the pain, all of the trouble, all of the heartache is the direct result of David's own sin. This terrible, incestuous rape between his son Amnon and his daughter Tamar. The desolation of Tamar because David would not pursue justice. The murder of Amnon as Absalom took matters into his own hands. The burning, smoldering resentment that grows inside the heart of the rebel Absalom. The coup. The fleeing into the wilderness. The people despising him and mocking him. All of this is a direct result of David's sin. This is not a result of David's righteousness. This is not David suffering for righteousness' sake. It's David reaping what he's sown. As a sinner. And yet, and yet he writes this, verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord... Are a shield about me not just in front of me not just on one side of me but around me you are a shield about me you are my defender all around me my glory you God are my glory what does that mean it doesn't mean what you think it means it doesn't mean David glorifies God it means God Glorifies David. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and He will exalt you. That's what it means. God is David's glory. He's, he, he exalts him, causes him to stand up. That's what it says. My glory, the one who lifts my head. You can imagine what happens when you hear good bad news, when terrible things happen, when you're depressed, when you're sad, when you're discouraged, when you know your sin. When people are against you, your head goes down. And this is God, David, saying, God lifts my head. He lifts my head. Stand up straight. He lifts my head to rejoice. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. This isn't David rising up in his own Righteousness as the persecuted, clean, perfect man. Absalom is the perfect man, remember? But not David. This is not David saying, look at me, God. Look at what's going on. I don't deserve this. This is David the sinner. David the failure of a husband. He had all kinds of opportunities to fail as a husband because he had lots of wives. And that maybe was failure number one. The failure of a father. The failure of a king to bring justice. The failure of a father to discipline his son. His sons. To care for his daughter. This is David the failure. But he still writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. What right does David have to say that? How can he be so presumptuous as to pray for God's help and actually expect it under these circumstances? It's actually more shocking than that because verses 3 and 4 are statements of fact. They're not requests at all. Look at what it says. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. He doesn't say, Oh Lord, please be a shield about me. No. You, Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory. You are the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my, with my voice, and he answered me. This is all a statement of fact. This is what's happened. This is a done deal. God has answered David's cry for help. And more than that, David at this point is sleeping like a baby. Did you see that in verses 5 and 6? I lay down and slept. This is the morning after he's run from Jerusalem. The armies are mounting against him. He's fled from Jerusalem, and then he went to sleep. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. Have you ever had trouble sleeping? I have. Sometimes it's too much coffee, too late. But more often than not, what is it? What is it for you? Fear? Worry? Anxiety? Trying to fix it? If only I could, if only I could figure it out. If only I could get to the bottom of this. If only I could worry enough, then my sons will be okay. Right? Right? If only I can plot and scheme enough. What does it take to sleep? It takes faith. Sleep is a temporary death. You're not there anymore. You're not working. You're not scheming. You're not figuring it out. You're not doing anything. And so you put yourself in the hand of God and you sleep. This is what David did. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands. I will not be afraid of myriads of people who have set themselves against me round about. In the face of disaster, David slept just fine. And then David is so bold as to ask God directly, For deliverance, verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. And what's the basis for this request? It's what God has already done. Verses 7 and 8. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon all your people. What's going on here? How can David pray like this? And why should God hear him? Remember, all of this is the direct result of David's sin. Remember what God has already said to the prophet Nathan? The sword shall never depart from your house. Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. This is exactly what God said would go, was going to happen. God is disciplining David. And yet David calls out to him. What's going on? Well, here's what's going on. David is a sinner who believes God. He's a sinner who believes God. He's a sinner who has thrown himself on the mercies of God. He's a sinner who's called on God to save him from his sin. And God has heard him, because that's what God does. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved, you'll be delivered. God has promised to save all those who come to him by faith and repentance through Jesus Christ. And that is what David has done. David has come to God in faith and repentance. And God has heard him. What does David's repentance sound like? We know because he wrote more psalms, right? This is what it sounds like in Psalm 51. Written after David's sin with Bathsheba the adultery and the murder, he says this, "'Be gracious to me, O God, "'according to your loving kindness, "'According to the greatness of your compassion, "'blot out my transgressions. "'Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity "'and cleanse me from my sin. "'For I know my transgressions, "'and my sin is ever before me. "'Against you, you only, I have sinned "'and done what is evil in your sight "'so that you are justified when you speak.' and blameless when you judge. David knew his sin. And when Nathan the prophet confronted him with his sin, David repented and said, "God, you're exactly right. Whatever you whatever you give me in judgment, I take it. You're right to judge me. Cleanse me. Wash me." No caveats. No fine print. That's what repentance looks like. And this is what David's assurance of God's pardon sounded like. This is from another psalm, Psalm 32, that he wrote after this as well. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. David is a forgiven sinner. Was David righteous enough to say these things that he says in Psalm 3? No. But he's a forgiven sinner. He's not running from God. He's not hiding from God. He's not hiding his sin anymore. And so he's free to pray. And he's free to ask. And he's free to expect God to. To help him and God is quick to give it to him the end of the story who's back in Jerusalem it's David where's Absalom Absalom is dead God breaks the teeth of the wicked now how does all this apply to you and me well I hope it's obvious to everyone here you and I are in, exa- in the exact same position as David. We are sinners. We have sinned in ways that continue to bring trouble and suffering and hardship into our lives. Many of, Much of the suffering that we have as sinners, as God's forgiven children, is suffering that comes on us from our own sin. Stuff that we have brought on ourselves. Reaping what we've sown. And yet our God and Father loves to save sinners. He loves to do it. Are you a sinful man? Are you a sinful woman? Are you a sinful child? Is your marriage messed up? Yes. Yes. So is mine. Yeah. Is your family messed up? Yeah. Of course it is. Of course it is. How else could it be? Is your family more messed up than David's? Your marriages, oh wait, you only have one. (laughs) Call on God. Call on God. He will be a shield around you. He will lift up your head. Jesus purchased your right to pray this psalm with his blood. You have no right to despise the hope of this psalm. You despise the hope of this psalm, you despise the blood of Christ. He purchased this for you access to God, blessing from God, deliverance, salvation from God. Not because you are righteous. Do you think that you're being humble? you think you're being humble by not taking these words as your own I can't pray this I'm a sinner The suffering I'm experiencing now is the discipline of God therefore I'm not allowed to pray and ask God to deliver me from it it's nonsense It's it's worse than nonsense. It's faithless and it's awful. Jesus purchased this psalm for you. Think of this church. Is this church messed up? Elders? Pastors? Clean? Is this the clean church? We don't have anything to do. We get together and eat hot wings and our elders' meetings. Is that it? No end. Is this church full of sinners? Of course it is. But what do we do? We call on God. He is our glory. He hears and answers when we call to him. He lifts up our head. Think of the cause of Christ around the world. David's words apply. O Lord, how our adversaries have increased... Many are rising up against us. Is that true? Absolutely. Many are saying of us, there's no deliverance for them in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about us, our glory and the one who lifts our head. God will not let his church be defeated. You have no right to despair of the work of God, the work of God's grace in your soul. You have no right to despair of the work of God's grace in this church, in your family, with your children, with your husband, with your wife, with your parents, with your neighbors. You have no right to despair of God's work in his church, in the world. To do that is treason. What would it have been for David to say, oh, okay, you're right, I'm, I'm a sinner. I brought all this on myself. I should have done all of this. I should not have sinned against And just to walk away. To walk away from the throne. Would that have been righteous for David? Would that have been humble for him? No. No. He's the king. And we serve the king, and it's treason for us to call it quits, to call a truce. God will not let his church be defeated. It doesn't matter what's going on out there. It doesn't matter how many rise up against the Lord Christ and his church. It doesn't matter how many say, there is no God, there's no deliverance in God, there's no hope in God. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many there are. Myriads upon myriads is what the Psalm says. It doesn't matter. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me roundabout. And so we call out. We call out with all of our sin, all of our failures, all of the the rubble. All of our messiness, we call out. We have no right to not call out. This is what sinners do. We call out. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have broken, shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation does not belong to you. It's not yours to accomplish. It belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon all your people this is a psalm for us. These words are ours. We disobey God if we refuse to pray them and sing them by faith. And so let's do it. Let's sing them. Let me pray. Dear Father, we ask that you would Make the truth of your grace and the gospel and the, the power of the blood of Christ. Fill us with hope. We are, in fact, sinners. We acknowledge this to you over and over again. And now, Lord, we call out to you to deliver us. Deliver us from our own sins. Deliver us from the wreckage of the sins of our, in our families and our marriages. Deliver us from the wreckage of our sin that we've committed against our neighbors Deliver us as the church from our own errors and evils and rebellion against you. Deliver us, we pray. Rise up. Have mercy on us, we pray. Let your church triumph in the world through your work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.